Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we discuss pop culture through the lens of race or gender, and sometimes both. I'm your host, Julia Washington, and on today's show, we are discussing a Muppets Christmas Carol. Muppets Christmas Carol was first released in December of 1992, which actually is one of my favorite points of time in history. And we're not going to talk about that today, but I just need to make that known. And stars the Muppets and Michael Caine. But before we dive in, let me introduce you to my guest. Samantha Crocker lives on the south side of Chicago with her husband and young daughter. She loves headbands, cardigans, and graphic tees about as much as she loves banana pudding, local food, and quirky TV procedurals. And I'm going to add, we talk a lot about books in the DMs too. So like, I'm just going to add that we also talk a lot about books. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited uh, she's here because I've met her through Tracy Stinger, who's a former guest. And through her coffee table house, coffee house table. I never remember the order. I'm so sorry, Tracy. Um, and yeah, we've just been chatting in the DMs ever since. So welcome to the show, yep. Samantha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am really excited about it. I am a huge Disney fan. And so I was really excited about this season and really excited about all of it. And I think it's funny because I feel like I've always been alive when the Muppets were really a part mm -hmm. of Disney, like to the point where like when I think of, even though I know for all intents, there, it was a separate company at one point, yeah. like when I think of MGM, Hollywood Studios, they'll always be MGM, but when yeah. I think of Hollywood Studios at Disney World, like one of the first places I always want to go is the Muppet 3D adventure. And when yeah. they were talking about like taking that courtyard down, I was so sad. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on to talk about what is truly one of my favorite movies of all time in many ways. I love it. I love it. I'm excited. I, um, this isn't our first Muppets episode this season. So now I'm like, how many Muppets things can I squeeze in <laughs> to season five? <laughs> Okay, so we're going to dive into the Google summary because if you're new around here, we always pull from Google because Google is what we go to first. Sorry, everybody else. Safari being, you ain't got it. Here we go. The Muppets perform the classic Dickens holiday tale with Kermit the Frog playing Bob Cratchit, the put-upon clerk of stingy Ebenezer Scrooge. Other Muppets, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, Fozzie Bear, and Sam the Eagle, weave in and out of the story while Scrooge receives visits from spirits of three Christmases, past, present, and future. They show him the error of his self-serving ways, but the miserable old man seems to be past any hope of redemption and happiness. At the time of its release, the New York Times had this to say, quote, the Muppets Christmas Carol is not one of those clever children's films that keep adult escorts from gazing longingly at the exit signs. What you expect, Muppets, is pretty much what you get. There's no great show of wit or tunefulness here, and the ingenious cross-generational touches are fairly rare. But there is a lively kitty version of the Dickens tale, one that very young viewers ought to understand. Which leaves this host to wonder, did we watch the same movie? <laughs> yes. I also wonder if they watched the same movie because 
not only is it, I, I think I primarily ended up watching this movie year after year, not only because I loved it, because my dad loved it and yeah. my mom loved it. And we would just listen. I think we owned the soundtrack yeah. and we would just listen to the soundtrack. Like to me, this review, like I, I just don't understand if it's like, do they, do reviewers feel like they have to be like cool and like think about like what will make them seem like the most astute or like like the I'm is it like so the, intellectual the, almost like the classist for, right exactly mm. intellectual because realistically like this is just a fun movie like at at every point there's a line that is there's cheeses for us Mises like what? there's just so much joy and and adorableness and even even the the very beginning where they're trying to convince us that gonzo is charles dickens and he's like i know it like the back of my hand and then he proceeds to explain the back of his hand instead of the story (laughs) there's just like all of these moments that i definitely did not as a kid see in the same way that Mm -hmm. i see as an adult and still love it and so i was i was truly surprised by this just like I I it was the person sad like did they not have somebody fun to go like what it just is such a a sad like despairing view of this movie right Maybe they need the three Christmas spirits to come visit them. Come visit them for sure. It reminds me of that scene in Ted Lasso where Roy hates Trent Krim and we don't know yeah. why. And then finally in the third season, Roy pulls out a review of Trent that Trent did in his earlier season. I think in his freshman year of being a pro footballer yeah. and reads it to him and you're like, ouch. And Trent's like, listen, I was young. I was trying really hard to impress my people blah blah and so then they have this really great moment and I was like I think that's literally every journalist everywhere trying so hard to show that they deserve that role Uh, but (laughs) yeah because I think but I also like some of the reason why I I love this movie and I love this and I love that that moment in Ted Lasso is like we we almost it seems like as a society and as a, a broad place, like the idea of of that scathing review or like making other people feel worse or like taking the the negative path is like somehow what makes us feel like someone deserves it or yeah. that they're really good at something or that yeah. like it's almost like if you are like a... <laughs> another good like joyful example that comes to mind is the woman who did all the reviews and she like gave Olive Garden five stars and yeah she was like this is the best and I love it and it's so cute and all those things and people were just like oh Olive Garden and I'm like no 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 let that woman be enthusiastic about the thing that she loved and which is I mean my business is called enthusiastic neighbor so I guess yeah. it's not that but I'm surprised <laughs> that I'm, I'm an enthusiasm you know preponderer I don't even know if that's a word, but I like a preponderance of enthusiasm. We're running with it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. because I think that we we do tend to feel like there there can't be joy in things. We can't mm-hmm. just love things. There has to be a 
a, a deeper, you know, like that's not cool to like that thing. And I hate that. I hate that that's, yeah. that's where we're at because it, it does make it so much harder to talk about some things, especially when you're not sure how people are going to react to it or, or what it's going to be. And, and I think that for me, that moment is like, why, why, why are we at this place where Trent thought that that is what would Im- impress people? And right. it probably is what impressed people. Like mm-hmm. why is taking such a, a negative, angry place, what makes people respect us more? I think a lot of it has to do with, with traditional gender, mm-hmm. like that, like that, that idea of like, you know, men are, you know, top toxic masculinity and men are tough and like we don't have a lot of of joy and all of these things versus like how we could mm-hmm. see a, a, a more equitable like it's okay to to be caring and it's okay to have that that zeal for life that is otherwise not always acceptable yeah and I also think too that the part there's another part of that as well where we feel like oh, well, we have to criticize because that's how we grow. And it's like, there's criticism and then there's just, like there's constructive criticism and then there's just bitching to bitch about something. Like, it's okay Mm -hmm. if you don't like something. Not everything is for everybody. But if you're going to criticize something, let it be constructive. Like, it's okay to say, you know what? This movie isn't for me, but your kids might like it. (laughs) Yeah. Or even this movie isn't for me, but if you enjoy puns and ridiculous setups and puppets as famous literary characters, yeah, you might like the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if you're just looking for a good time, yes. you might enjoy it. And and that is, I think, one of the interesting things is I've started when I write book reviews, mm-hmm. sometimes I will say that, like, I will give it five stars and say... I loved this book. Mm-hmm. I think that it was, I am the, I was the exact right demographic and I was the, the exact person. And I don't know if you're going to love it. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know that it's the best written book I've ever yeah. read. I don't know that it's like the the plot is perfect. All I know is, is that I had an incredible emotional reaction to it. And this is how I feel about it. And I feel like sometimes critics also feel like they have to, give their which I don't know if it's wrong but I think like in that constructive criticism versus like there's a difference between reviewing something for what it is Mm -hmm. and reviewing how you personally feel about it and so I think that that's a big piece of it is is that like I choose to do it the other way where Mm -hmm. I tell you what I because I just don't have the like expertise to like know things (laughs) about some but that I feel like sometimes when I write reviews I'm just like or when I read reviews like this, like we're saying, I, I just kind of want to be like, well, but that doesn't seem like the movie at all. Like that seems like your very personal opinion about the fact that you kept staring at the exit sign when you had to watch it. Yeah. But that's not the experience other people had. Well, we all know the Christmas Carol, whether we want it to or whether we want to or not, like it is everywhere. There's multiple, multiple iterations. It is steeped in the gift giving season that is December and therefore we cannot escape it. 
So let's get like right at the top. Tell me about the first time you saw this movie and what you thought of it. So in December of 1992, I was six. And so I will be very honest that I do not remember the very first time that I saw this film. I couldn't tell you if I saw it in the theater, if I was like laying down on the floor of my house, but I can tell you that my memory is full of this movie that like from, from all of my childhood memories of the holidays and of Christmas include this movie and not just a Christmas Carol generally, a Muppet but specifically, Christmas. yeah, like the Muppets. That. Like I can, I remember. Like I said, I remember watching it. It was always we would watch it with my parents. I I would watch it um, by myself. I, we like I said, we had the soundtrack where we would just like listen to the music because it's so good. Some of the songs today, like when I was thinking about what movie I wanted to talk about, one of the reasons why I like I wanted to pick this one to talk about is because some of these songs are still on my everyday playlist. I wake up in the morning and one of the very first songs on my like morning playlist is Thankful Heart, which is the song at the end of the movie where he like talks about living every day in this wonderful way. And so for me, it's this reminder of we can wake up every day and say, this is how I want to live. I just want to love everybody. I just want to be grateful for the day that I have ahead of me. And so like, it's still on my playlist. Um, But I also remember that it's just so much fun Mm -hmm. and it's just so funny. And like some of the things that like on the regular, I will still think about those tiny rats in their (laughs) hula skirts. And like, this is my Island in the sun when they want more, stuff i did some reading of the like trivia on imdb before mm-hmm. i came to talk about this and my one of the ones i think is so funny is how much work it seems that brian henson did in order to get when love is gone put back into this movie and i'm just like why why brian henson i fast forwarded it through it every time i don't think i listened to it a single time i would on the vhs i would have the vhs and i would just fast forward through it because yeah I- Song. I just don't think it fits. It's not that it's a bad song. Right. It's not. It's it's so long, and it it just cuts the movie in a way that doesn't make any sense. But that that is one of my main memories is hiding the two big ones for me of the movie itself. Like the huge ones are hiding behind the couch for a very long time when um Sailor and Waldorf would come on to do the Marlene Marley song. Yeah. That was so scary. And then fast forwarding through when love is gone because it's just boring. I, uh, when you brought up that when love is gone, I remember yesterday when I was watching it, that is the point where I picked up my phone and started scrolling Instagram. Yeah, (laughs) it is. A minute into the song and I was like, okay, let's see. Do I have any messages? (laughs) And then when it was done, I was like, and we're back. (laughs) Like you, I also don't remember the first time I saw this movie. And like, I feel like it's one of those things when I think those of us that are in this particular subsect of our generation, because they were cranking out Muppets movies and Muppets content for a, a decent period of time. And then there was a big gap of time. And I'm trying to remember what that gap was. But I feel like it is just a part of our existence in a way that isn't necessarily true for my kids generation yeah yeah because i was also big into muppet babies the original muppet babies right. the cartoon like i was a big i muppets were 
were a big part of my and also I think we're we're sort of later into it but like for me it was also I was raised on Sesame Street mm-hmm. and so like that has all of that like the, the natural transition like, yeah mm-hmm. and I think some of it I don't know for sure so I think that there's but I think some of it is because of the death of Jim Henson like I think mm-hmm. that some of it was he had a lot going on because this was the first Brian right Jim Henson right this was the first one that Brian was in charge of and so I think that some of it is is about that transition and how it comes together and how pieces of that intersect around like where are things going now that this person who really didn't have any kind of transition like he wasn't there was no succession plan right like Mm -hmm. well from from my understanding he got sick basically refused to talk about it and like mm. refused to do anything about it and then just like died oh like, there wasn't a huge. it was yeah and so I think or that he like talked about it just enough that there like wasn't it just it wasn't there wasn't some sort of like grand transition sure of, like yeah. I'm going to retire and go into the no he wasn't ready he was just he died and so they had to figure out what it and what I think he died do? in the middle of the sale. Like, I don't think that the sale had been finalized when he died. I think that they had to, like, figure out what it meant now because they weren't sure about how they wanted to do stuff. Like, it was just, like, this whole... I remember It was when, a, more of a mess. Yeah, I remember when he died because... Which is crazy because I was so young. But I was in the kitchen. I think I was getting a bowl of cereal because I wanted a snack. And somebody said no. And I said, well, I know where the cereal's kept. And milk is at easy access, too. Um... And it was on Entertainment Tonight, and they were talking about it. And I, re- I have a very clear memory of reaching for the cereal box and then Entertainment Tonight announcing that he had died. Like, so seared into my... Like, there are shit I can't remember about my childhood. <laughs> but that I remember, which is wild to think about. You've heard me mention that I am now a contributor to Jennifer Magazine, so I want to tell you a little bit about the publication. Jennifer Magazine supports a strong community of women and non-binary people who are challenging the status quo of ageism, choosing conscious consumption over status-seeking, supporting brands that align with their values of inclusion, stepping into the empowerment found in self-expression, and talking about it. If you're tired of reading publications that seem to miss the mark when it comes to coverage of women, aging, and the gender binary, publications that are rooted in internalized racism and misogyny, then Jennifer Magazine is the publication for you. The publisher of Jennifer Magazine was once told that there's concern that Jennifer Magazine misses the mark, that it's not something people are asking for. And you know what? It's hard to ask for something when you don't know that something has been missing from your life. You can read Jennifer Magazine at jennifermag.com. There you can purchase monthly issues or even join their annual subscription and receive exclusive discounts. Do you get really excited that your favorite book was adapted for screen only to watch it and feel completely let down? Are you a person who refuses to watch the screen adaptation because you know the movie God's got it wrong? I'm Julia Washington, host of Jelly Pops Book Club, where we read book to screen adaptations and compare them to their screen counterparts. We've covered books like Normal People by Sally Rooney, Water for Elephants, and Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. We even host a live monthly book club where we have read books like The Other Black Girl, The Joy Luck Club, and The Sun is Also a Star. Sometimes we 
even discuss books we wish would be adapted, offer suggestions on what needs to stay, and who should be cast. So if you're someone who thinks, I can't believe they did this to this book, or screams at a screen about the changes that make no sense at all, then this might be the show for you. You can find Jelly Pop's book club on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or visit our website, popculturemakesmejealous.com. Roger Ebert. We all know him as our resident misogynist here on Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous. He gave this film three stars and called it a tale of gothic gloom relived only at the end, or excuse me, relieved only at the end by the warmth of holiday cheer. He also kind of criticizes the fact that Kermit and Miss Piggy's Piggy's boys are boy Kermit and Miss Piggy's boy kids are frogs and all the girl kids are pigs. Also, I want to go back to the gothic gloom relieved by the warmth of holiday cheer because like the Muppet spin on what is a pretty dark tale at, at its core, but also Roger Ebert. What did, what do you think should happen? Because it's a dark tale that ends with holiday cheer. That is how I've always understood it. <laughs> right. And additionally, I I don't, I don't understand how it's the same book because again, like we've talked about this and all other things, but like the movie literally like really the opening, it's a song is the opening crescendo. Yeah. And then the the jokes about Gonzo and Charles Dickens and like the back of his hand and mm-hmm. him, him making a joke about that and like trying to convince and all of these things were like, there's so many funny moments, like more than any other Christmas Carol that I've ever watched like my my other go-to my other go-to Christmas Carol I really don't I don't love the story Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm obsessed with a Christmas Carol and so I like the Muppet version of it no I just like the other version I love is the one with Susan Lucci that was on Lifetime which was like it's the the gender oh yeah it's so good I can't remember what it's called but and it is just sad like the whole thing is just sad it's a sad movie until you God get to damn. the end like, woo it's a sad movie but the muppets don't don't play it that way and i'm i i get it i get it sad there are parts of it that are sad mm-hmm. i think that there's a lot to say about how we can look at it in a new like in the context of i think a lot of times in the past mm-hmm. i sort of look at it as like we and even when we talk about it now like scrooge is just this like bad dude who has no cheer and blah 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 and i feel like it's such an interesting thing to think about it that way and think about it as a sad story because what's actually really sad is looking through his life and finding how he got to where he is and like Mm -hmm. then him taking sort of control but that like throughout this version of the film there's so much joy there's even the there's only there's the song that, that I love like I one of my like Christmas decorations one year was like a one of the signs where you could put things up. and then it was how many sleeps until Christmas Aww. because after, there's only one more sleep till Christmas and so I think that part of this for me is like yeah you know what it is a really sad story on the whole and that plays into it but also 
so much funny, so much funny in, there, in a way that other Christmas carols just don't right. bring to the party. There's a scene where Gonzo says, or maybe it was, anyway, it's between Gonzo and the other one. I forget the name. I'm so sorry. And like, they're like, Rizzo, God, Rizzo thank the you. Rat. There's a scene between Gonzo. There's a scene between Gonzo and Rizzo where Rizzo's like, gosh, this is like really scary. What's going on? And Gonzo's like, oh, yeah. no, 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 it's going to be fine. Don't worry. Or whatever the comfort level. And I'm watching it. I was like, was I scared in 1992 of this version? Because we have so many other things now in the year of 2023 and beyond that are just like way scarier that kids are watching these days that I was, just, I, I really yep. struggled to remember whether or not that this version ever made me feel scared yes and I can like I said earlier I I it did scare me as mm -hmm. a six-year-old there are parts mm -hmm. of it that were just like too much even though the now looking back Marley and Marley is just funny like yeah, those two are just yeah. fun. the song is funny chains like singing chains are funny it's funny now yeah the other thing that I remember legitimately being scared of which is when Gonzo and Rizzo leave is the spirit of Christmas future. Oh, like yeah. That's, that's a, like that part where they're just like, yeah, this is a little too much for me. We're going to peace out. Yeah. It's very, very funny. But that he legitimately, which is another thing that I think is very interesting and that I really, really liked that this movie did is that they created, they did not put Muppets, mm -hmm. like loved traditional Muppets into those three roles. Right. I really loved that they said, we're not going to make Miss Piggy Christmas past. We're not going to make Rolf the dog Christmas future. We're going to create brand new characters mm -hmm. that are these pieces Specific. because mm -hmm. I do think, right. Because I do think that that really enhances the yeah. film yeah. In, in a way you don't often think because of the, the, the stark difference between there is a serious line that runs through the story that mm -hmm. helps tell the story. Mm -hmm. And then there's sort of the like, comic relief of the Muppets <laughs> and so I think it was a really nice decision for them to not put in where we would be thinking of the characters instead right. of the story right and I think I so I really love that it's sort of an entry point for the Charles Dickens story because we don't we don't write in the way that Charles Dickens did anymore, right? Like we don't, that's not our style anymore. We've evolved so much, just even in the last five years with writing styles have changed. And so what I think is really great about this film um, is that it kind of holds up in the sense of like, you could probably still show this to children and they would understand a Christmas story or <laughs> absolutely a Christmas carol. And then, Indeed. and then if you wanted to go to a more traditional play version or what have you, they'll be able to follow along and they can, you know, know what the point is, whatever, all the things. So I really appreciate yeah. that the Muppets did sort of do this whole, like, Hey, we're taking this sort of kind of complicated story because there's a lot of complicated emotions in a Christmas. I almost said a Christmas story again. <laughs> I mean, both have pretty complicated emotions. Yeah. But, but, and then like, it's just, it's just so interesting how like, like you said, like the fun of it is missed by both of these reviewers to the point where you're just mm -hmm. like, no, I mean, yeah, if you're watching it with an eight-year-old, I think an eight-year-old's really going to get I think an eight, I think eight is the right age 
like six. Yeah. Totally makes sense. But also I can understand why at six, you'd be scared by certain scenes, but I feel like eight, nine, 10, I think it's perfect ages for the, for this film to introduce storytelling, difficult, complicated emotions, all the things. And also Roger Ebert, who gives a shit if Kermit and Piggy's kids are all boy frogs and all girl pigs. Like, why are you thinking deeply about that? <laughs> yes. And yes. Yes. And also the the reason is partially because Robin, who is Tiny Tim, has always been a boy. Like, it's always been his, like, that is just who it is. So it was a way to, like, make it. So you don't have to think about it. You just have to think about it in the terms of the Muppets. And it's, like, right. perfectly reasonable it's It's, and i think that is one of the interesting things about this is is that i read one of the pieces of trivia that i read a long time ago that mm -hmm. i've always loved about this movie that i wonder now that we're talking about if that somewhat plays into it is is that michael kane said if i do this movie i need you to understand i'm gonna do this movie i'm going to take it seriously and it's humanly i am just going to act as scrooge i'm not gonna like the nods to the muppets aren't gonna be there i'm not gonna like interact like i am just going to play this role as if i were in like the most serious english production of this show and the answer was like yes that is what we want like that is what the the point was but it wasn't because they were taking the it wasn't that they were trying to create a serious movie mm-hmm. or a serious Christmas Carol with Muppets. It's that this is what this is what the Muppets do. Like the right. Muppets are this very subversive, like satirical, funny, joyful thing that, yeah. like, I especially over the last few years or so, I think it's so funny the ways in which, like, somebody was um, the when COVID when the COVID vaccine was happening, the Muppet, the the Sesame Street talked about getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. It was like, it's okay to get shot. It's all these things. And I remember seeing so many people being like, Sesame Street shouldn't be political. They shouldn't be talking about this. And I'm just like, you know, absolutely nothing about the history of the Muppets or of Sesame Street. Like Sesame right. Street was created as a political reaction i mean not political and like political but like as a reaction to what's happening it was created to give kids this like amazing space that they didn't have if they were just sitting down after school because Mm -hmm. they were you know parents couldn't be and there are so many things over time that it's been like how like they they just dealt with so many things and i think that that's one of the pieces about this movie that is this like the Muppets have never, to me, mm-hmm. the Muppets have never tried to dumb things down to make kids understand them. Right. It is not about saying, let me shift all of this so that kids will enjoy it and understand it. It's saying, how can I both tell the story that needs to be told and and get it to a place and make it enjoyable right. to watch? Yeah. And so I think that that's a piece of this movie is, is that they didn't. Which is part of why I love the fact that it's not like again with the the three spirits, but also I love the fact that they made the choice to make Scrooge the grown up, like to make it like right. okay, to make it real human and not say like oh well, you know you easily could have made either either one of the or both of the like 
you know, the Sattler and Waldorf. Like, you could have made them, because they're already these, like, crotchety, human, mm -hmm. angry, you know, you could have made them Scrooge that would have fit within the Muppets, and then it would have been a totally different thing. And so I really like that this movie... And what, why I don't understand the the reviews is because the movie really is both this very dark tale mm -hmm. of this redemption and the in all the things, but it brings the humor and the joy in ways that don't detract from the right. story, but right. instead illuminate the humanity of it. Mm -hmm. really because even in the we talked about like the one only one more sleep till christmas that's not about scrooge that's about how his staff is is making the most of a situation that they have to be in right. because of the, the time and the the ways in which there was so much dickensian exploitation mm -hmm. with times in times and so i think that the the ultimately why this movie resonates for me so much is that like just sheer humanity of the way that they're able to bring the story yeah. through how they did it yeah and I think in Roger Ebert's review he even commented that like it should have been a Muppet that played Scrooge and I was just like absolutely not because no. one of the things that I find always super magical about the Muppets is how they incorporate human and I really yeah. like the way they incorporate human. Like it's yeah. always in a way that sort of, even though they're in a human world with a Christmas Carol, we're in a Muppet world as opposed to like the Muppet yeah. takes Muppets take Manhattan or the Muppets great caper. Like they're going into yep. a human world. Whereas this is now we're in a Muppet world, but yep. it works like you need the human yeah. element in the way that they did it. And I think if they had, like you said, it would have been a completely different movie if they had put a Muppet in that role. And I don't think it would have worked. Uh, yeah, it definitely. I don't think it would have either. Mm -hmm. I think it needed because the the whole I think for me, this is one of the like classic examples of you need the one person who is like Michael Caine, like you need the one person who is completely serious. You yeah. need the straight, I mean, for comedy to work, you need the straight man. Right. And I think that if you were to have made, like in this movie, it is absolutely Scrooge. Like there is no other option. Like that is the, for the 90%, 95% of the movie, he's the perfect foil yeah. for all of this humorous stuff going on around him. And so I think if you would have made it a Muppet, it literally wouldn't have worked because there is no Muppet because even if like there's all this talk like not all this stuff but like there's often the, the you know like well is Kermit this the the straight man because he's and I don't know if there's a better term for it than that I, I don't know, know that that's, I, the, that's the term but it that's is the only term is. I know yeah, yeah. yeah that like he's the one and all of this chaos happens around him but it doesn't it really doesn't like Kermit is actually very like inside of the yeah. mess and the chaos and like yeah. the arms flailing and so I I really do think that there are certain things that you just need the the human mm -hmm. in order to be that this is how we're going to make it happen and yeah. tell the story in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, Another thing that Ebert said that kind of made my eyes roll was how the kids in the theater didn't laugh and enjoy, or is how the kid, excuse me is how the kids in the theater did laugh and enjoy the film, like, but likely didn't get it. 
They just enjoyed the Muppets. And again, Roger no. Ebert. No. <laughs> no. Nope. I I think that I I don't know. I don't have any like I just don't have anything else. I I just know. Because the the how could you how could you there's no this the at at its very core this movie is very clear that this guy goes from being a very angry unhappy man mm -hmm. to buying a turkey and and throwing a huge bag of coins at a bunny that he had like thrown out an hour earlier like yeah. there is no like even if they don't understand the vastness of a christmas carol and the ways in which we shift and grow and things happen and then we shift and we think about like even if we don't you still understand the movie of this guy was angry and then he's not and that's the that's the main point of the film so i just don't i just don't understand how you could think the kids didn't get it right and actually a really good trivia point of this is another trivia that i read and i don't know how true that like it's imdb trivia so you yeah, never know really yeah. remember, but i thought it was so funny i guess in one of the test screenings and there's really no way to change it or like they were watching with a but that somebody one of the kids asked why the like what the rats had done for them to get coal at the end because they had forgotten that santa gives colds to the bad kids right. so like one of the kids was like what did these rats do that they only got coal and it's like oh, oh. they didn't do anything they actually wanted coal because that's the fuel and like all those things but like if if kids i think we don't give kids enough credit agreed where i got to with this is i just don't think we give kids enough credit i think yeah. that we that they're just enjoying the muppets or whatever but like no they get it they can see the things they they see things that we don't as adults right. like I'm sure if I was thinking about you know I just I think that ultimately the reason why this movie is, is so good is is the exact antithesis of what the New York Times review is saying and that I think this is a very intergenerational movie I think that it is widely vastly different depending on when you're watching it <laughs> I want to talk about how different it is watching this movie as an adult from watching this movie when you were a kid. I think for me, the major difference, and I, I sort of mentioned this a little a little earlier, but that I think that for me, one of the, the main things that I see, especially now over the last like four or five years, as I've like grown myself and lots mm -hmm. of things, is, is that I, I do think that we give Scrooge as a society like as a broad thing like he's always this like very negative character mm -hmm. like he's just a bad guy he's so angry he's so everything and that, that I think one of the big things for me that changed as I've started watching is that that's not actually what the story is about mm. like that the story isn't necessarily like let's take this terrible human being and turn him into this like totally grateful guy like the movie is really about saying this is where you started. 
this is who you were. This is how the world has changed you. This is how, how essentially 18 X, you know, London and it's, massive systemic inequality and all of the like terribleness has turned you into this guy who like can't see the joy that exists in life Mm -hmm. because of of all of these things and you you can't see how these these pieces come together and so I think for me I now watch it more as like we all need those reminders like we all need those go like we all need to to have that space where we can say why am I so cranky like why am I yelling at these rats about how it would feel on the unemployment line like what what are the pieces of how I got here and how can I think about how I can now change how I move forward and that's like I said I I have this song the the song at the end although my absolute favorite song in the whole movie is it feels like Christmas oh in the middle like the, the Christmas present like yeah. that that song is the one I will at any time of year that song will make me feel happy but I listen to you know thankful heart every day because and I think this is why it works so well for me with the Muppets mm-hmm. is because there is so much of that joy and and humor and love infused throughout it mm-hmm. where you you can look at it and see that Scrooge was maybe just depressed. <laughs> like maybe yes. he was just like been all of this stuff, all of this good stuff is happening around him and he just can't see it. Mm-hmm. And he, he, his other, you know, these pieces that like show him. And I think that there's a lot of like pressure or not pressure, but there's like a lot of, I think even in this version, but slightly less mm-hmm. on the idea that the, the only reason that Scrooge changes is because he has seen what his future would be like and right. people, you know, and the, the spider is buying his bed sheets and like all of these things. And I don't actually think that is what changes him. Like, I think that, that being, I think that that is the, you know, the, because by the time he gets to that spirit, he's already talking about how he feels like he's a changed man and how yeah. he can see how he's not. And so it's just like driving it even further home but I think that like he sees all of these things that he's missing out on and that he could do something about and that he's just it's it's almost like that that like the the bird's eye view that Mm -hmm. like when you're not in the situation but you can see it in a Mm -hmm. different way yeah Um, and so I think that's a big difference for me about how I view it as an adult is like looking at it from more of that, like, it's not a dark story because he's such a bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's a dark story because this man is just lost. Yes. He's just yeah. Lost. And I, we see that. I totally. Yep. Absolutely. Cause this time around I was watching it and I was like, Oh, this is a cautionary tale about capitalism <laughs> Yeah, and how it ruins your life. Especially yeah. at that point when they go back and he's like engaged and like they're happy, they're happy. And then it eventually erodes over time because he's so yes. determined in his career. And I'm not saying that love is the answer or that seeing his lost love is what made him turn or that we need no. to turn to love to make everything better. But I think right. what 
for me, what hit for me was how easy it is to get lost in that. I need this to be okay. And it has yes. nothing to do. It is everything to do with money and nothing to do with yep. like finding joy anywhere else. And like, yep. for example, when my book club read Paris Hilton's memoir, one of the things that I did was I watched her YouTube um, documentary. And in that she says, I just need to get to a billion dollars and I'll feel okay. And that struck yeah. me so strangely because it's like, ma'am, I would just like to be, not that I'm saying, oh my, we need to compare each other, but it's so interesting right. how you have fallen into this trap of, of mentality that you feel that you need a billion dollars in order to be financially yes. solvent. Like, yes. how did that lie get perpetuated? Yes. And I think that is another piece of this movie that is a big part of it is, is that, as you know, as we, you talked a little bit about Barbie earlier, and I talked a little bit about the like toxic masculinity piece of it. And like, that is a huge part of this con, like of this story. Mm -hmm. And of the fact that like, he even, and I think my, um, my six-year-old has been now is like into Hamilton. She only watches the first act. She doesn't watch like, and <laughs> yeah. but she's sick. So it's not like, you know, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that strikes me every time I, I listen to that is that like the same thing that is happening with Scrooge and Belle happens with Eliza and, and Hamilton, because yeah. both of them say, I just want you to be here. I just want you to be present. I just want you to be my husband. I just want this. And both Scrooge and Hamilton are basically like, no, that's not what a man does. Like, I have to be able to provide. I have to be able to like, keep you accustomed to the life that you're in. And both mm -hmm. of these, both of these women are just like, dude, I don't need that. Like, I don't need you. Like I, I get who, like, I get my last name is Skylar, but that doesn't mean that I want a giant man. Like, I just right. want you and right. they can't see it. And I think that, that a lot of the, the, and I, until we were having this conversation, like I had like pieces of it, but it sort of all kind of that like, yeah, this really is kind of like the perfect like shedding the idea of that like toxic masculinity mm -hmm. and toxic capitalism rather than than solving the problem by like Scrooge is actively changing the way that he thinks about the world. But yeah, it's like so much of that like ind individualist like you know perpetual capital like all of those things that that shifts into this like oh shit wait a second I have to care about people right I have to have community I have to which is another reason why I think ultimately this movie speaks to me so much because that is so much of what like my jam is like that, that idea of like how yeah. do we the work that I do is like how do we get people to understand that it's not it's important, like you were saying, it's important to be able to take care of yourself. It's important to not, not be a martyr. It's important to not like give everything and, and have nothing and like be completely, that's not the point. Mm -hmm. But the point is, what is enough? What right. is like, how do we, how do we balance those things? And I think that this, this movie is a really good mm -hmm. tale to say, some of it is just about recognizing that you do have to find that, that thankful heart. You do have to find the gratitude. You do have to find the ways in which these people are 
the people around us. <laughs> he will give you his scarf. Yeah. And that with that the the way to find this joy and the mm-hmm. way to find joy is to have people around you and to have this community and to be caring for each other. And so I think that that's a huge, huge difference as an adult versus a kid, because as a kid, for me, it was very much just like the traditional, like, Oh, Christmas Carol, he was right. good and now he's bad and every, you know, it's great. Or, or even just like so much of the funny, like how, yeah. like, I'm just going to, the, there's so many moments in this movie just like speak to me which is such a huge message that a lot of businessmen did not get but like this time around it was just so much more meaningful for him to find community because i think that's what we're all craving we're all so disjointed and we're all trying so hard to find ways to be connected and find community and it really feels like capitalism is trying really, really hard to make sure that we don't find community, especially right now with what's going on with all of the, um, and again, I'm not hundred percent sure if the writers actor strike will be over by the time this airs, but at the time of this recording, the actors and writers are on strike. The writers have been on strike for over a hundred days and they're just asking for a fair cut. And then you have these, you know, millionaire overlords who are like, no, and you're just like, but you're making money off their work. This is so exploitive. And I, and I felt that in the beginning of Muppets Christmas Carol this time, where it's just like, no, you're working on Christmas day. Like, why are we, why would we take a day off? That's dumb. And you're just like, sir, (laughs) you need to stop because this is exploitation. Like whatever the holiday is, it doesn't even have to be Christmas. It could just be a Saturday. Like, like just chill. Natalie and I talk about a lot. The patriarchy is really bad for men as well. And I think to your point, this is truly an excellent example of it being bad for men. I can't, I've been the woman sitting there being like, I just want time. Like we'll figure everything else out. I would, I want a relationship, not Mm -hmm. someone paying my bills. Like when we like play into these, like, very traditional mm-hmm. like gender roles it it is so bad for everybody scrooge ultimately just needed somebody to talk to him mm-hmm. he just needed someone to say hey let's let's think about some of this stuff let's think about how you're moving through the world let's right. think about how how you got to this place let's think about where it could go like the the three Christmas spirits are really just kind of like you know like uh, guides or coaches or right or you want to call it like and I and I think that that's one of the things that as we one of the reasons why I, maybe I see it you know is because again like if you turn it into this like current present day allegory like he's depressed mm-hmm. he talks to people and gets help and he's able to move forward in a way that like allows him to be healthier and more in tune with community and society and all these things. And so I think that like, as we are more willing to have these conversations out loud Mm -hmm. and to talk about the reasons why we aren't talking to our parents and the reasons why we aren't doing these things, it's not that we're starting new trends. This movie is a hundred or the story is a hundred years old. (laughs) Like, the fact that for so long the we weren't we weren't able to have these conversations at the same level even though it feels like this very 
old story so many of the themes are still so relevant and so come comes back even in the ways the very last thing I will say is even in the ways that some of the like there's only three major women in this movie and two of the three are portrayed in a not very flatter like and even you could say all three of them even though it didn't get it perfect it still was trying to be this this anti-capitalism anti-toxic like again maybe it didn't even know that it was right but it had this message that that really and the Muppets have always they have again they haven't always gotten it perfect like a lot of the stuff but they've always tried to move us forward right the Muppets been about standing still or or trying to move the Muppets have always been about how do we make the world a better place yeah when they haven't always and and we can only and I think that's a lesson in and of itself for me is like we can't get it perfect perfect doesn't exist we're always going to make mistakes we're always going to look back in hindsight and say oof yep definitely wish I hadn't made that choice right we do what we can when we're in the moment because this movie sometimes makes it feel like he he had this one day mm-hmm. and now the rest of his life is just going to be perfect and filled right. with community going to make all the right choices. And he's not. He's absolutely not. Every single day, which is why I have the song on my playlist. Every single day, you have to wake up and make the choice to engage and right. make the choice to have a thankful heart and make the choice to be grateful. You can't wait. You can't expect that three people are going to talk to you every day about how you can make better choices or what happened. And so I think, I think that the, the, the thing about this film that feels so important to me, a person who doesn't even really celebrate Christmas anymore is that choice that he makes the choice and wakes up every morning, presumably wakes up every morning saying, how can I smash the patriarchy? Yeah, and it would be nice. Yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely um, got a lot of better messaging now that they didn't realize would be so beneficial to those of us in twenty twenty. I want to thank Samantha again for joining me today. Muppets Christmas Carol is a great movie to watch, especially this time of year. And as most of us are truly trying so hard to do more than just survive, it's a great reminder that not only is the patriarchy bad for all, but so is capitalism. You can find Samantha on her Instagram, Enthusiastic Samantha. I've linked it in the show notes. You can learn all about her and the works that she does there. And if you have questions for her, you can reach out to her there. Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous is written and edited by me, your host. And if you're new around here, I am a biracial writer and podcast host based in California. When I'm not facilitating the Jelly Pops Book Club or recording this show or pouring candles or hand-painting greeting cards, I'm trying to convince my dog to snuggle while suffering from existential dread. If you can't get enough of this show or you have something that you're dying to share with us about our topic, you can join us on Patreon. There you'll get one bonus episode a month, a bi-monthly happy social hour where we discuss current pop culture topics and you get access to our back catalog of episodes that have in episode bonus content. Some of those episodes that have in episode bonus content you might be missing are episodes from season three, 10 things I hate about you. She's all that. 
can't hardly wait. So good. Just click the studio audience tier and you unlock all of that joy. The bi-monthly happy social hour is virtual and is coming back in January, 2024. I cannot believe December is almost over and 2024 is just around the corner. I hope this season has been kind to you and that you are surrounded by love and comfort and joy. And I really hope 2024 is kind to all of us. This probably will be our last episode of the year. We have so many more amazing episodes exploring Disney properties coming, all recorded over the summer of 2023, and I cannot wait to share them with you. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Until next time.